This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Thank you. Can I first of all say good morning to all the hopers, the happy hopers, who aren't in the room but are online. So good morning, happy hopers. We, we prayed for you this morning. You're part of our congregation and we love you loads and we hope to see you in the room soon. Okay, and welcome to anybody who's listening to this at a later date online. Um, you know, God's blessing to you too as you listen to this message. Okay, so we're going to be um, just starting off and uh, carrying on in Luke 10 where Dave uh, left off last week. Let's have a little pray before we start. You know, Father God, we come to you today and Lord, we know that you promise that you teach us through your word by the power of the Holy Ghost and we really ask you today to open up our hearts and minds to your word, to your truth in a really powerful way, whether it's in the room or listening online or at a much later date, we pray for each person because you transcend time, you're there, you're real for every moment that we are in because you are the eternal God. So we thank you that you can meet all of our needs needs any point in our lives and uh, I just commit this message to you Lord and I just pray that something good would come out of it for every single person in the sound of my voice amen okay so we're in Luke 10 and we're going to be looking at four verses 13 to 16 and as I said it follows on from the message that Dave preached last week where Jesus commissioned 72 people 70 or 72 to go out before him and prepare the way before he got there and Jesus was warning them and saying some of the towns and the cities that you're going to go to they're just not going to receive you and he said they had to shake the dust off their feet to not take it personally verse 16 which I'm not going to be going into says if people receive you they receive me if they don't receive you it's me they're not receiving so don't worry about it don't take it personally that's what I think that's saying anyway and the the passage that I'm going on to um, Jesus is carrying on with that theme of towns not receiving so let's read it together woe to you Chorazin verse 13 woe to you Bethsaida for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell, or Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Okay. So, why did Jesus have such... Um, difficult words for these particular cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Woe to you. Woe. That word woe is a word that comes up more at a funeral. It's a word that is a wail. It's a wail of grief. And Jesus is really, it's showing Jesus' heart here. He's wailing in grief 
at their lack of repentance, their lack of, well, we're going to be looking at repentance in more detail in a minute, but their lack of taking him seriously. And he knows the consequences, and we're going to be going there as well today with judgment. But let's just set the context a moment. Jesus came from Nazareth, as we know. Uh, He was the son of a carpenter, and he grew up in Nazareth, and he probably became a carpenter himself. And then one day he went into the synagogue and he preached, and the people of Nazareth rejected him. They rejected his message. So just like he just told his disciples to do, he picked up his things and he left town. And the place he went was Capernaum. This is a city that is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, on the western shore, not quite on the shore, I don't think. It's just a little bit inland. And this is where he made his ministry base. And there were a couple of towns that were really close by, less than five miles away, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And Bethsaida was actually on the coast, and it's where Philip and, and um, Peter and Andrew came from, and it means something to do with fishing. So these three towns were really close together, and as you know, with any towns, people were constantly moving between the two. There was probably trade between the two. Families lived in different parts of these towns. And so anything that happened in one town, you would know what happened very soon in the next town. They would, be, they would move across, that information would move very, very quickly. And we know that Jesus did lots of miracles in Capernaum particularly. As I say, it was his ministry base. So I've got a list of just one day's activities for you. It's in Luke chapter four. There's a man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue and Jesus delivers this man and they're all absolutely amazed. They'd never seen anything like it before. Then he goes back to Simon's house and Simon's mother-in-law, she's a bit under the weather that day. She's got a fever. She can't do anything. She's in bed. Jesus touches her. The fever leaves her. She gets up, starts cooking the meal. And then later in the evening, everybody in the town finds out, obviously, what's been going on in the synagogue and what's been going on in Simon's house. And they all come out. It says the whole town came out carrying anybody who was sick. So anybody in the town who had COVID that day was brought to the, to, to, um, to the house, to Simon's house, and everybody was healed. Every single person was healed. There wasn't anybody left out. Everybody got it, so to speak. So there's been a deliverance, there's been a, a fever rebuke, and everybody has been healed. And, you know, Jesus has demonstrated his power, and yet he says... in in the passage that we've just read, that they had not repented. Because he said, if if this had happened in the towns of Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented. But you, you have not repented. And so we're going to look at what repentance is. What was it that Jesus was looking for? Now, we might think repentance is, you know, changing stuff you do. And it can involve that eventually. But actually, repentance starts with an actual change of mind. We've got the word there on the board, metaneo, metaneo. That's the Greek word. And it means to think differently, to change your mind about something. And if you really change your mind about something, that does cause a change of behavior. If you decide that exercise is a good thing and you really change your mind over that, you will start to exercise. If you don't think eating or drinking a certain thing is doing you any good and you really believe that, 
you will change your behavior. So behavior is the result of this, but it starts with a change of mind. And Jesus was looking for a change of mind about himself. Now, let's look at what the residents of Capernaum did to Jesus, their reaction to Jesus. And we have to look to another gospel to see that. The gospel of John in chapter six gives us some of their reactions to Jesus. It follows that momentous day where Jesus fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, sorry, not counting women and children. There'd been this incredible outpouring of a miracle of provision. And Jesus goes eventually, I won't go into the detail, but in fact, he walks across the lake on the water and gets into his disciples' boat and they end up going back to Capernaum. And no one saw him leave where the miracle had happened, so they couldn't find him for a while. And in the end, they found him in Capernaum. And they, they said to him, having seen 5,000 men, not counting women and children, being fed the day before, they said to him, what sign are you going to perform then, Jesus, that we may see it and believe in you? What work are you going to do? You know, our fathers, they ate manna in the desert. That came every day. Um, it, it's written, God gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this prompts Jesus in John chapter 6 to talk to them about him being the bread of life. And this is what he says to them. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is being very specific here. He is telling them that he has come from heaven. He didn't come from Adam. That's why there was a virgin birth. He had to come from a different route. He came directly from heaven through a miraculous conception in, in Mary. And he is the bread of God who's come down, just like we need bread every day. We need him every day. And he's come to give life to the world. But the Jews' response is really quite incredible. And I think this is why Jesus is, is so shocked, really, about why they are, are so hard-hearted. Because it goes on to say, they complained about him. Because he said, I'm the bread of life which came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? He, we know his father and mother. How is it he says that I've come from heaven? So clearly, they didn't see who he was. They did not believe him. Despite all they'd seen, the healings, the deliverances, the teaching... The witness of his, all his miracles, they were, they were wanting proof. And I think that's a challenge to all of us listening to this message today. What are you going to do about Jesus? If you're a Christian, how seriously are you taking him? And if you're not a Christian yet, are you going to explain and rationalize away the claims of Jesus? Are you going to say he was just a good man? Are you going to think he was just a carpenter, just an ordinary person that showed us the right way to live? Let's look at his life a little bit more closely. He says, verse 14, it will be more tolerable or bearable, it says in the ESV, for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for those three towns. Why will it be okay for Tyre and Sidon, but it won't be okay for them? Well, Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities, not Jewish cities. And Jesus actually didn't visit them and preach the gospel. 
There's only one instance in the Bible, in the modern, in the, sorry, in the New Testament accounts, where it actually describes Jesus going to Tyre and Sidon, and it was later in his ministry, and it was to escape the Jews who wanted to kill him. So he sort of went there to sort of like hide away. So he didn't go there to minister. He didn't go there to preach the gospel. So these, these towns had not had the advantage that Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Grayson had had. They hadn't had him walking through their streets, healing everybody, delivering people, and preaching the gospel. And this shows us that God does take into account how much we have heard about Jesus it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than you, said Jesus. So we're going to have a little diversion for a minute off the main thread of the message. And we're going to look at the fact that God does judge according to what we have received. In Luke 12, it says, everyone to whom much is given, of him much is required. And I think we can all agree that we're more in the camp of Capernaum and Bethsaida and um, Chorazin than we are in the Tyre and Sidon camp in this country. You know, we have multiple ways of reading the Bible. Our phones, on the television, books. We have no limit to the things that we can find out about Jesus. We are without excuse, really. There is lots of information out there for us. We don't live in a place without the internet, without communication, without televisions, like some people on the planet might. But it's heartening to know that God is going to take into account how much they have heard. If they have not directly heard, even heard the gospel, God is somehow going to balance that all out. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on the streets and witnessing to people and someone has asked you a question, well, what about those people that haven't heard? That's not fair, is it? God's sending them to hell and they haven't even heard the gospel. Well, the Bible does have an answer for that question if ever you get given it to, whenever, if ever anybody ever says that to you. Because in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says that even if they haven't heard the gospel, actually the heavens themselves and all of creation is talking to them every day. Let's read it together. Verse 20. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So people all over the planet, wherever they live, get up every morning and they see a sunrise. They see birds in their trees. They see creepy crawlies on the ground. They see incredible weather events. They see the stars in the sky. They see hummingbirds, perhaps, hovering perfectly over a trumpet flower. And are they going to say in their hearts, wow, there's a creator God? Or are they going to see in their hearts, wow, millions of years of evolution turn it colourless gas, hydrogen, into that? Isn't that amazing? Which way are they going to go? God says we're all ultimately without excuse. So, diversion over. Going back to the text, verse 14. It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell. And it's at this point 
I want to go to the most sobering part of my message this morning. I don't want to dodge the issue of hell. Jesus didn't, and I don't think we should either. And this is the advantage of actually going through, a, 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 you know, something like we are at the moment, going through Luke literally verse by verse, because it enables us not to cherry pick. We can't pick all the passages that we really want to talk about and avoid all the ones that we don't. And so I am briefly going to talk about God's judgment and I'm going to talk about hell. The day of God's wrath is, is referred to as a day, okay? God isn't wrathful at the moment. Um, God is gracious towards all of humanity and it says that he doesn't want anybody to, um, you know, to, to not be saved. God is holding back that period of judgment um, in order for everybody to get an opportunity to respond to him because he has, as I'm going to go into in a minute, made a way of escape for each and every one of us on this planet. But the word wrath and associated with God is used at least 31 times in the New Testament. So this isn't like a backwater doctrine. It's a clear thread that runs through the New Testament, not to mention the old. And Jesus refers to this place, hell, which is the destiny of everybody who doesn't choose him, as a place of unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. I mean, we know what it's like just to slightly burn ourselves if you're lighting a candle or something and you leave the match in a little bit. You know how we all want to get the last bit out of the match, don't we? And we leave it burning that little bit too long and sometimes we just get caught out with that last little bit catching our skin. It's just inconceivable to consider an unquenchable fire. And, you know, Jesus talks about hell in another passage. He talks about it in Mark chapter 9. And in order to make the seriousness of it um, clear to everyone, he uses a, a, a hyperbole, he uses exaggeration to make his point. He says in verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that never shall be quenched where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And this is quoting from Isaiah 66, 24. He says it three times in fact. He says it's better to cut off your hand, cut off your foot or gouge out your eye than go to this hideous place. Jesus is saying, be under no illusion. Place is not a hell you want, place, hell is not a place you want to go to. It's unthinkable to cut your hand off, isn't it? It's, I mean, you know, it's just unthinkable to just take an axe and cut your hand off. But that stark, shocking image is designed to shock us because this place is not, is not even to be contemplated. But I have great news for everyone. Jesus and God have made a way for us to escape this place of tor torment. If you go to um, Revelation 20, there's more detail about what happens in that day of judgment. And, you know, I would recommend everybody read it. It's a sobering and, um, you know, it makes dreadful reading. It, it, it's really encouraged me and, and really given me chastening this week to get out there and talk to people about Jesus. You know, we don't want to you know, um, be 
ungracious, we don't want to be unkind in the way we share the gospel, but we do have something to tell people and we need to be telling them because if we haven't told them and they go to this place and we never told them, it's just unthinkable. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the gospel now and the gospel is just so amazing that um, it turns the tables on the devil. So first of all, I have to tell you that we are all destined to die once and face the judgment. That's what it says in Hebrews 9.27. But for those of us that are Christians, that judgment has already happened and it happened with Jesus on the cross and I'm going to explain that in a minute. So if you're a Christian and you're listening to me today, this next bit doesn't apply to you because you've already chosen life. But if you're not a Christian, then this will apply to you if you don't choose Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of his standards. And some of you might be listening to me now and thinking that you would perhaps get into heaven. You might be thinking, actually, if I compare myself against Hitler or Pol Pol or some of the other dreadful people who have lived on our world, or even just to your neighbour who might be not a very nice person, you might think, actually, I think that on balance, I'll probably all get in. Sadly, I've got news for you because against God, the perfect, perfect God in whom there is no sin, no darkness at all, it says, he is perfect light and perfect love. We've only just got to tell a lie and we are disqualified. We've only just got to pinch a pencil from work and we're a thief. You know, we've only, if you're a man, got to look at a woman lustfully and that is as if you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, with her. So we all fall short of the glory of God and the wages of that is death. But as I say, God has made an answer for us and the answer is his son Jesus. Going to um, John 3, 16, 17 and 18. God so loved the world. This is God's motivation. If you're listening to me today, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent the best he had, his only son. Imagine giving up your son to what, for what happened to Jesus. I can't imagine giving up my son to do that. But God did that. He loves us so much that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So that's an overview of the salvation message. God sends Jesus and he's not, he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to present God to the world, to, to heal, to deliver, to show God, how, to show people how much God loves them. But a time is coming when we will have to have responded to him. So believing in him is important. And I'm coming on to that in a minute. But I just want to unpack the mechanism of, of our deliverance, of our salvation, just a little bit more deeply. So I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21 says that God satisfied his justice against sin 
because God is ultimately fair. Sin can't go unpunished. So God's need for justice had to be satisfied. And he did that by putting all of our sins on Jesus. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I just want you to just take a moment to think about what this meant for Jesus. Jesus came from God. He didn't come from Adam. He came from God. He is sinless. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe the whole thing started and we hear that he was in anguish and he was so distressed that he didn't sweat normal sweat. He sweat drops of blood because he knew what was going to happen. Because if you think of all the sin of all the people of all time, of the most hideous crimes that have ever been done, Jesus became sin. He took on all of that for us, for his great love for us. And he knew what was coming. And the thought of it, I think, was worse than the pain he knew he was going to suffer through the process of crucifixion. But he did that because he loves us. And then this amazing exchange happens. And we sang about it actually in one of our songs. Thank you, Frank. Um, God trades us, our ugliness, for his perfectness. And he trades our sin for his righteousness. So if you imagine it like this, this is me. That's my millions of sins in my life. Jesus comes, no sin. He takes my sin on the cross with him. I am left apparently sinless in God's eyes. That is the miracle. That is the miracle of our gospel message, of our salvation. I am, I am to God perfectly righteous. I can come into his presence with boldness, not fearing judgment and condemnation. That is what Jesus is offering each one of us um, if we will believe and put our trust in him. And then earlier in the same chapter, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, it says, so if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's the amazing thing. It's like you've just been born. Look at that perfect baby that's just come out of the womb that hasn't had a chance to really get going (laughs) in the sin department. That perfectness of a newborn child, that is what you are like when you become a Christian. So if you're listening to me today and you've done something really terrible that you can't forgive yourself over, you come to Jesus and God forgives you. He forgives you the deepest, deepest of sins. And you can start afresh. You can start as a newborn child. What actually has got new is your ho- the spirit inside you because the Holy Ghost comes to live in you. Your spirit man is reborn. It says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And I remember an old track that I used to use at university when I was door knocking. And it had God on one side and then a huge chasm like the Grand Canyon, and then another cliff on the other side that I was on. And there was this gap that could not be passed. My sin had separated me from my God. And then the next picture is the cross plopped down in the middle 
becoming a bridge between those two cliffs. And that's what reconciliation means. It means God used the Jesus on the cross. He died my death so that I could pass over and be reconciled to God through him. And it says, he doesn't impute my trespasses to me. And that's an accounting term, impute. It means like a ledger where you have all of the transactions of a company, ins and outs, if you like. Well, all the debts that are against my account, all the sins against my account, God is not imputing your trespasses to you. Everything you did this week that you wish you hadn't, they're not there. They're just not there. They've all gone on Jesus already. So, cause for rejoicing. Thank you, Father God. So, I just want to tackle... um, I am nearly there, folks. I just want to tackle one thing that's going on in the planet at the moment, and that's the wrong doctrine of universalism. Because in this passage, it says that God in Christ was reconciling the world unto himself. So, does that mean, then, that the whole world is automatically saved? That's called... This is this doctrine of universalism. And there are some Christians which are household names which believe this. And I just want to show you from John 8 that it's not that. We have to personally respond in order to appropriate this free gift of our sins being forgiven. You can't just trust it to be an automatic thing. Jesus said in John 8, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so we come full circle with this message today. Who is Jesus? Are you going to truly repent today and acknowledge that he is the son of God who died on a cross for your sins? Because if you do, then this works for you. He will take your sins and you will go into eternal life eventually in heaven with God. But if you reject him, his work on the cross will not avail for you. Your sins will remain and you will go into eternity to face the judgment of God. The strange thing is the people of Capernaum still did not get it. It's It's unimaginable, isn't it? We all think that if we saw Jesus walking in the room and we saw miracles and things happening before our very eyes, that we would automatically believe. But the human heart is a fickle thing and the people of Capernaum still did not believe it. In John 6, they said, well, what have we got to do then to work the works of God? They were in this works mentality. And some religious organizations are in this. We have to do things to get ourselves right with God. But Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. It's as hard and as simple as that. We simply have to believe in Jesus. Okay, well, my message is finished, but I just want to just present two more challenges. To the Christians, I would say, I hope you feel as challenged as I was preparing this message. I think we need to get out there with a greater urgency to preach the gospel to our neighbours and our friends, um, to anybody who who will hear. I know we have to do it sensitively. I know we have to do it with respect. 
but I still think we have to somehow be more urgent in our prayers to, for more opportunities, for more conversations to naturally take us in that direction where we can talk to people about the gospel. I have got a few tracts with me today, little leaflets that you can give as giveaways. And I've started to give it to people who come to the door and, you know, deliver parcels or, you know, give something, giving, got something for me. And I've been amazed. People have been, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Go and read this as you drive your van. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, it's just incredible. So God can use it. Praise God. Hopes he uses it for them. If you don't know Jesus yet and you haven't made that decision, and you really don't know much about him, my recommendation is that you perhaps read some of the Gospels and find out about Jesus. All the information is there in those Gospels. And write to us at Hope Church because we would love to send you materials that would help you on your journey. If you um, are ready to believe in Jesus, if you are ready to make that step and put your trust in his work on the cross for you, for your salvation. I would just invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe that through your death on the cross, my sins are forgiven. Thank you that you fill me with your spirit and I have passed from death to life. Amen. Okay, you can contact us at the Hope Church at the bottom there if you want more information, you just want someone to talk to or pray with you. I'm sure we could sort that out. And before I close, I just want to give us all an opportunity to receive direct from God here today. Because God says he confirms his word with signs and wonders following. Okay, so what I'm going to do is just open up for a short time of prayer and ministry. This can happen in several ways. You can actually ask someone to pray with you sitting in your seat. Or I'm going to lead us in a, a short prayer um, that, you know, I'd like you to just engage with. And how I want you to engage is if you have a need here today, be it a physical need, or you have a need of employment, or a relationship that's broken in your life, or you have a family member who's sick or estranged from you, whatever that need is, God is interested in you today. And he's interested in meeting that need. And as we saw with Jesus, he authenticated his ministry with signs and wonders. That was what they should have recognized put him above a normal man. And Jesus is here in the room with us today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So um, I would just invite us all to shut our eyes to give us all a little bit of privacy. And then if you want to put your hand on a part of your body that isn't functioning quite quite right at the moment, or you want to just lift up someone with your hands that's dear to you, that's struggling in an area, or whatever it is, I'm just going to pray a prayer, and I don't know what that prayer is yet, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to inspire me, that God will meet these needs. Okay, so Father God, we know that you promise to confirm your word with signs and wonders following. And I pray for everybody in the sound of my voice to experience a sign or a wonder in their lives. Father, you know the individual needs that are being expressed in the room here today and online, Lord God. And we know you are a God outside time. So even if this is years um, behind, 
behind the person who's listening to this message. I'm telling you now that God is still real and available for you where you're sitting, in your home, in your room or whatever, to meet your need now. So Father God, I just want to pray in the mighty name of Jesus against all infirmity, against all sickness, against all weakness, against all pain. And Father, I thank you that on the cross, Jesus just didn't die for our sins, but he died for our whole person. And we thank you for your healing anointing to flow into into bodies here today and into bodies of people online who need it. Father, I pray for people to be um, excited to get up and do something that they couldn't do by faith as they receive an impartation of your Holy Ghost and your grace as I am preaching and speaking in this way. Father God, I pray to for people who are emotionally hurt, people who feel that they are really damaged inside by a broken relationship or something trauma happening in their lives. Father, I just pray for your supernatural healing through the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Father, you promised to bring comfort through the Holy Ghost. His name is the Comforter. And Father, by faith, I release comfort into the hearts of the people. I release healing over scar tissue, Lord Jesus, in people's hearts and minds. Thank you, Lord God. Help people to forgive people who have hurt them and release themselves from that, um, that pain, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, Father God. I pray particularly, I was praying about this this morning and God told me about eyes. So I'm just trusting that someone out here needs a healing to their eyes. Father God, whether this is a spiritual healing or a physical healing, Lord, I pray right now for someone listening to this that they need a healing in their eyes. And I just declare eyes be healed whole and if necessary, restored to sight in the name of Jesus. And if you receive a miracle with your eyes, could you please write in and tell us so that we can bless the people here in the congregation with answers to prayers. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Nothing is too difficult for our Lord Jesus. Nothing is too hard for God. All the promises of God are yes and amen to us. This isn't just something that is going to happen in the future, that we are escaping the wrath to come. God cares for us today and wants us to have abundant life through Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you did for us, for your great, great sacrifice on the cross, that you divested yourself of your righteousness and took on the nature of sin to give us this free gift of your your grace and your right standing with God. We will be forever grateful and praising your wonderful name. Amen. Have a good week, everyone. God bless you.